I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the Internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. We must see the central narrative for the fiction that it is. We are Americans. While elections are sometimes messy, this was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. It's Thursday, October 12th, 2023, the 995th day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. A warm welcome and hello to all of you listening to the podcast on the day of its release. The only way to do that is by becoming a paid subscriber at I'mYourModerator.Substack.com. You can do so for as little as $50 a year or $5 a month, and in doing so, you will be supporting me, the work I do, and this show as it expands. And if you can't or you simply don't want to, continue listening to the podcast for free on a wide variety of podcast platforms and, of course, Rumble. All I ask is that you share it with your friends. You can find the links to the podcast, the writing, the social media, and the merch site by visiting linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. Now, just a show note at the top of the show, there will be no episode tomorrow. So you will have to make it through your weekend without me. You can, however, listen to Badlands Daily. I will be doing Badlands Daily tomorrow morning with my good friend, CanCon. 
and then I will be hitting the road. So I will not be around to do a show. I will see you back here early next week. Naturally, I still will be online and I will be on Devolution Power Hour Saturday night. Now, before we circle back around to what we've been talking about all week, which is the situation emerging in Israel, as we learn about and analyze the events on the ground, try to understand the context, both geopolitically in the present moment and the history as well, and then determine what it is we should be doing and supporting rather than delegating our intellectual and moral thinking to authoritative sources as they tell us what to do. Rather than getting on board with the regime's agenda, we are going to think these things through for ourselves and stand up like grown adults making decisions for ourselves and supporting things that we can actually believe in and get behind rather than just going along because of the overwhelming social pressures. And there certainly are those. So before we get into that, let's talk a little bit about this speaker's race Yesterday, I noted that within the Republican conference, by a vote of 113 to 99, Steve Scalise had been chosen as the Speaker of the House nominee for the conference. And people like Matt Gates said that they would support whoever the conference chooses, whoever the majority of the conference gets behind. Matt Gates will be happy to vote for that person for Speaker on the floor. Under the same rules that were negotiated in January, including the one vote motion to vacate people like Jim Jordan said that they would support whoever was chosen by the Republican conference. That was Steve Scalise yesterday. Jim Jordan immediately said he would be happy to vote for Steve Scalise on the House floor. Donald Trump announced last week that he was endorsing Jim Jordan for House Speaker. So as far as I know, he has not weighed in at all on Steve Scalise. It seems like things are not going to work out for Steve Scalise. He does not have the support within the conference. There are a reported at least 20 representatives who do not plan to vote for Scalise. So there is no way that he could become speaker without Democrat help. And it seems like that either later today or perhaps tomorrow, he will be withdrawing from the running. Regarding that vote yesterday within the Republican conference, there were three votes that abstained from that vote, 10 votes for Donald Trump, who then planned to switch their vote to Jim Jordan in round two. So Steve Scalise barely passed the 50 percent threshold. It looks like he has no path forward. And that's good because Steve Scalise represents the establishment. Most of the conversation has been about how Steve Scalise is basically a Kevin McCarthy light. And that's unsurprising with him being a part of the GOP House leadership. Now, I want to play a couple of clips from Congressman Ken Buck, Republican of Colorado. Ken Buck is one of the eight who voted for the motion to vacate to get rid of Kevin McCarthy. Now, Ken Buck has not at any point really seemed very MAGA and has worked in direct opposition to MAGA many times. And you'll see some of that vibe play out here. And it's also worth noting that these interviews are on MSNBC. 
Here's the first one from yesterday. Well, I have three issues that I want to know about. I asked last night, uh, will you unequivocally and publicly state that the election, the 2020 presidential election was not stolen? Um, He didn't answer that question very clearly, and Jim Jordan didn't answer that question very clearly. The second issue I have is, uh, what is the spending number uh, that that we're all going to agree on? It doesn't have to be my my number, but I think if we're going to go and and move forward with with appropriations bills, we need to know what that number is. And the third question I had is, will you put Ukraine funding on the floor? I understand that he wants to see a plan from President Biden, but um, even if the plan doesn't meet his expectations, will he put the vote on the floor so the rest of us can vote on that issue? Why don't you think they're going to commit to, I mean, the other two numbers, spending numbers has got to be negotiated, so I can understand the delay to get you that. Uh, Ukraine funding on the floor, there's obviously so much division. Something as simple as saying the 2020 election wasn't stolen, why don't you think either one of those gentlemen can commit to that? I think there is a large uh, group of Trump followers in this country that uh, would uh, disagree with that and and would uh, there would be a political penalty for for saying such a thing. Now, that's very interesting. One of his priorities is that whoever he's going to support as speaker will go in there and tell the American public that our elections are not stolen. Why is that one of his priorities? Isn't it strange that we're still talking about that, especially when We had one of the safest and most secure elections of all time, we are told. How is it even still an issue? And how is it that neither Steve Scalise nor Jim Jordan would promise to support that position? I wonder what it is they think might be coming down the pike. What should we assume about whoever Ken Buck might ultimately support? What should we assume about the Republican establishment? If this is a priority to its members, that whoever the speaker is will say publicly that our elections are not stolen, despite overwhelming evidence that they are, despite overwhelming, irrefutable evidence that there is no justification to believe that our elections are even held legally, much less legitimately decided and reported. They haven't proven that at all. All we've learned is that the system is so complex, so convoluted, so messed up and so intentionally opaque that there is not a person in this country who should honestly believe that these elections have any integrity at all. Our election process fails to meet even the most basic standards to be considered legitimate in even the slightest ways. And anyone who's looked into it knows that to be true. Even CISA, the organization that said we had the safest and most secure elections of all time, published a statement well over a year ago, reflecting the research by expert J. Alex Halderman on the voting machines, that there's absolutely no way to ensure that those machines can either yield an accurate result or have any chance of preventing manipulation. They are easy to manipulate and there is no justification whatsoever for believing that they are creating a result that reflects the will and intent of the American voter. So what an odd standard that is, but it's very interesting that it's coming up in this conversation and that members are being held to that standard to win the votes of some of these more establishment members. This is the litmus test. Make sure to apply it wherever you can. Do not give them the benefit of the doubt. Ken Buck is telling you that he will not vote for anyone as a speaker unless that person will get out there and say that our elections are not stolen. Now, maybe there's something else going on with Ken Buck that we don't know about, and maybe we'll learn more in the future. But for right now, 
Ken Buck gets zero benefit of the doubt ever. That is what that means. And let's hear a little more from him. This is This Morning with Andrea Mitchell. Once again, of course, on MSNBC. You voted present yesterday, so you're holding your cards. But would Jim Jordan be the next person? I don't I don't think so. Um, not necessarily. Jim is not uh, enthusiastically supporting Steve. He said if he got Steve got to 217, he would support him. Um, so I think the uh, it would just be opened up again and we'll see who, who the well, top candidate is. Who is among those that might be considered? Would you go back to Kevin McCarthy? Um, I think that Tom Emmer will be considered. I think that um, uh, Kevin Hearn will be considered. Byron Donalds may be interested. There will there'll be a number of people that will put their name in. I think Steve was the number two, and, and out of respect, a lot of people didn't run. I think those people, if he takes his name out of consideration, will, will, uh, the, the field will open up. What did you think of some of the criticism of Steve Scalise? Uh, one member saying that he was too potentially too absorbed with his cancer fight uh, and others saying that they thought he was too connected. I think Nancy Mace said too connected in his past, at least to David Duke and other white separatists. I, I think I think the, the statement about uh, his health is cynical and, and really, uh, uh, I, I think, um, uh, unfortunate that someone would would raise that. I, I met with Steve. He was energized. He was uh, uh, very much with it, um, gave a great speech in conference. I, I don't think the fact that someone's going through cancer treatments disqualifies them in any way. Um, in, in his past, uh, you know, the, the, the past was, he, I think he was on a radio show or something uh, that at another time had a, a white nationalist on it. But uh, clearly, uh, there are a number of, of African-American leaders and others who have stood up for Steve and talked about his fairness. Ken Buck, thank you very much. So it's not going to be Scalise, and they're not going to immediately revert to Jim Jordan, apparently, either. I guess Jim Jordan just doesn't have the support of enough of the conference, even with President Trump's endorsement. And maybe President Trump's endorsement is part of what's holding some of the conference back. Maybe the GOPE can't figure out which side Jim Jordan is actually playing for. And I'm just fine with that. We talked last week about what Jim Jordan represents in this speaker race. I don't want to see any speaker. I don't want to get behind Jim Jordan. I don't want Jim Jordan to get a rubber stamp of approval. It's got nothing to do with Jim Jordan, although I'm open to it having something to do with him. I think Jim Jordan is probably a good man, and I would love to continue believing that. I would love it if nothing came out that made me think otherwise. But I'm certainly not going to blindly trust the guy. I don't want anyone rubber stamped. I don't want any speaker at all. I said last week that I want to see this process go on for a while. I want to see a bunch of names proposed. I want to see a thorough vetting of everyone, including all their votes about who they're actually supporting. It would be nice if this process were done out in public. The fact that so much of it is being done behind closed doors should tell you a lot about the Republican conference. If they will do the people's business behind closed doors, you can imagine they're not going to stand up for the people in the face of stolen elections. They are fine with major decisions for the people's business being decided by the people holding the power in private. Steve Bannon said this morning that he thinks the process will drag out. He thinks this is going to be a thorough vetting. He has started talking about a lot of these things as civics lessons for the country. That's something we've been talking about for a real long time.
And I'm not saying Steve Bannon is getting it from us, certainly. Steve Bannon is basically the progenitor of the MAGA narrative. He is the philosopher king of MAGA. He is to all of the ideas first, which is why there is so much predictive value in actually listening to what he's saying and incorporating what he's saying into our broader understanding of what's going on. He noted this morning that there was some reporting coming from Capitol Hill suggesting that there might not be someone who reaches that consensus within the Republican conference that they can then bring to the floor and get a vote from the majority of members in the House, which means the full Republican conference. He said that Patrick McHenry, the current acting speaker pro tempore right now, might end up being the guy. Now, does that mean they go and elect him speaker so that he has the full duties, powers, and responsibilities of the speaker? I don't know. We might just see the status quo last for a while. Acting speaker pro tempore. Good. No speaker. I believe we can get there. We shall see. Maybe we get to do that for a little while and ultimately emerge with someone who is speaker for a little while. If we get a speaker... You can imagine we're going to see that motion to vacate again. They will be actively daring Matt Gates and others. And they don't really have any way around that, because if they are going to keep doing the regime's business, then people are going to keep standing up against them. We don't want to govern by continuing resolution. Matt Gates has said that very consistently. If they want the government to keep spending, bring these individual spending bills and have a vote on them so that every congressman puts their name to their position on that individual spending bill. If they want money going to Ukraine, they have to vote for money going to Ukraine. They can't just vote for a must-pass omnibus spending bill. So we will see where things are going there. But right now, the establishment is flailing in that speaker contest, and Donald Trump's hands are off it. He supported Jim Jordan. That's what all of Con Inc. Media wanted last week. Well, if we're not going to be able to have McCarthy, you better give us Jim Jordan. Jim Jordan is a good conservative. Even if we get a good conservative like Jim Jordan, Matt Gates still doesn't get any credit because the Democrats actually did it, not Matt Gates. And when that didn't really land, then we had the Israel thing and they all immediately attempted to capitalize on the Israel thing and tell the country that now there was an urgent need to replace the speaker immediately. Got to keep that money flowing for Ukraine. Got to get some money flowing for Israel. We have to do both, but it's really not working very well. And it seems like the Ukraine thing is kind of slipping away. They are losing their last grip on that whole Ukraine thing. Virtually no one at this point believes them when they say that somehow Ukraine is going to quote unquote win. No one really believes that anymore. No one wants the money going there anymore. And it doesn't seem like they're getting it. And it seems like they know they're not going to get any more. They're hoping they can swap the Israel thing in where the Ukraine thing was. We'll get to a little bit more of that in a second and talk about how there's a whole lot of people flunking out of PSYOP school right now. And we can see that happening a little bit with the speaker thing. There are still people, even people who are mostly awake, MAGA supporters, etc., who think that there is some risk that we're encountering by leaving the office of Speaker of the House open. They think maybe some Democrat is going to go in there and get power, or maybe we're not going to get done all the important things we need to get done. None of that's true. There's nothing productive for the country that can be done 
with a Speaker of the House in there that will not be accomplished otherwise. They're not doing anything. The entire body, by the way, is illegitimate. These people are the product of elections that cannot be verified and are not being held lawfully or certified lawfully. So right there, the whole thing is invalidated in a very important way. Whether or not that scenario plays out in the reality we observe, it is still true despite that. This is very much the same as that fraud vitiates everything notion. We can't have legitimate decisions emerging from an illegitimate body. And because the body is illegitimate, they should not be encouraged to make decisions on anyone's behalf. The calls to the representatives should be, you must say no, just say no to everyone who comes up, say no. Does that include Donald Trump? Yeah, I would be inclined to say, yes, that includes Donald Trump too. Say no to all of them. The idea that Donald Trump is somehow going to get 217 votes from Republican congressmen seems crazy to me just right off the bat. I really, really doubt that could possibly happen. We are talking about people who happily went along with the usurpation of this country. They failed to object to our stolen elections. They failed to object to these fraudulently certified electors. The idea that they're then going to change over a couple years later and support Donald Trump's ascent to this position of power that he probably can't legally hold and shouldn't hold is absolutely crazy. So which one of those representatives is worth supporting? Is Jim Jordan worth supporting? Is Jim Jordan a better choice than no speaker at all? The answer, quite plainly, is no. And that's not anything about Jim Jordan. He may well be a good man, a faithful, patriotic American. I'm not trying to take anything away from Jim Jordan. I'm just saying no speaker is still the better option. Also, if you like Jim Jordan, if you like Donald Trump, why in the world would you want to see them in that position where they can't accomplish very much and are sure to be blamed by the establishment for anything that they can sell to the country as a mistake? The Republican establishment are not our friends. It is not our goal to unify with them. It is not our goal to compromise with them or come together with them. The goal is to defeat them. They are corrupt. They are not our allies. They are the uniparty right. Our movement is against the uniparty. Just because they seem to align with us on various issues does not make them our ally. They are the controlled opposition for the uniparty left. They are part of the uniparty. Nothing more, nothing less. Mitch McConnell is no more our friend than Chuck Schumer or Nancy Pelosi. And we really need to stop pretending otherwise. We need to fully break out of this controlled opposition paradigm that has dominated our understanding of American politics throughout our lives. It is not accurate. It is not useful. It is absolutely a construction and a framing from the enemy meant to deceive and manipulate us. And the longer you play along inside their constructs, inside their framing, you are doing their work for them. They know that if you want to deny that so that you can feel like you are supporting a good cause by supporting the Republican establishment, go right ahead. I can't change your mind. But you are doing the work of the enemy by accepting their framing and accepting their terms for the debate. You need to reject the regime in full. 
which means rejecting their controlled opposition paradigms wherever they exist, and they are presenting them to you right up front all the time. And before we move on to Israel, I just want to share this. This is from Max Burns, a Democratic strategist formerly of The Daily Beast and NBC News. He writes on X, looks like Representative Hakeem Jeffries is making his move telling reporters Dems could work with the GOP on a consensus speaker choice. It means partnering to reopen the House, Jeffries said, and changing the rules that were enacted in January that empower extreme members. Suffice to say, if Democrats make this deal under a new bargain that eliminates the one vote motion to vacate, my expectation is you'll see a lot of House GOP lawmakers suddenly willing to torch the Freedom Caucus. It's also pretty clear that Jeffries learned a lot from his time working with Speaker Emerita Nancy Pelosi. Jeffries and House Democrats have consistently outflanked the chaotic GOP at every turn over the last year, even if the mainstream media won't acknowledge it. So that is a 100% regime-supporting narrative, painting the situation as one where the Democrat Party has all this power. They're going to take Half of that Republican conference, that GOP establishment wing of the Republican conference, and they are going to coalesce around some consensus unity. They'll call it bipartisan candidate. But what will it actually be? It will be a uniparty candidate. The uniparty left and uniparty right will combine on the path forward. Hakeem Jeffries, the leader of the Democrats, is saying it just right out. It means partnering to reopen the House and changing the rules that were enacted in January that empower extreme members. So they all make a deal together to take the majority in the House, change all the rules, get rid of that motion to vacate so that they can choose a speaker, leave that speaker there no matter what, and move forward in passing their bipartisan legislation. All the Senate spending bills, the Biden priorities, they're going to come together and do the work of the regime. That is what they're telling you. And Republican establishment members are saying the same thing. We need to get a speaker in there because we have important business to do on behalf of the American people. No, on behalf of the military industrial complex, the global regime in Ukraine and now in Israel, they need to get the money flowing. They need to protect their globalist proxy states. And everything is two things. Israel is not only a globalist proxy state, but it is that too. And we have to recognize that. And we have to understand that the uniparty government in America and the representatives of the uniparty in America are trying to protect that. They're trying to protect the globalist proxy state, and they are using your affinity for Israel as the biblical Israel, the historical Israel, the holy land, the homeland of this people. They are using that against you so that you will support what they want. This is why it matters whether or not you will reject their framing. You must reject their framing or you end up falling into situations like this where you can be manipulated into doing something that is in absolute opposition to your own interests and not just your interests as I define them, your interests as you define them. If you are in opposition to to this global regime, you must reject their framing. 
They are positioning you to help them. It doesn't matter if you feel like it's the right thing to go along with them this time. They are not telling you the truth this time. They did not reach the right conclusion this time. Their agenda isn't the right choice this time. It's the same thing all the time. They're figuring out ways to get you back on board. They are trying to corral you back into your pen. They believe you are cattle. They're not doing you a favor and looking out for your best interests this time. And on that note, let's move into the conversation about what's now happening in Israel. And unfortunately, we have to spend another day on the deeply unsettling claims and earmuffs, if you're sensitive, of Jewish babies beheaded by Hamas terrorists. We talked yesterday about the reporter who initially made the claim, citing one soldier. We talked about how those reports were retracted. The LA Times retracted their story. Israel's military said it had seen no proof that the story was true. Then later in the afternoon, we get this from CNN and a reporter named Hadas Gold. We have some really uh, disturbing new information uh, out of Israel. The Israeli prime minister's spokesman just confirmed babies and toddlers were found with their heads decapitated in Kafar Aza in southern Israel after Hamas attacks in the kibbutz over the weekend. That has been confirmed um, by the prime minister's office. Let us go now to CNN's Hadas Gold in Jerusalem. This news is beyond devastating and for the families listening, for the people of Israel, for anyone that is a, a parent um, and who loves children, I don't know how they get through this, but this, this kind of thing and the way that this has happened has really changed any possibility of a relationship, uh, a peace accord between Israel and Gaza and Hamas. I mean, how can you when you're yeah. dealing with people who would do such atrocities to children, to babies, to toddlers? We knew that children and babies and toddlers had been killed. We knew that they had been abducted. We knew that they had seen their parents killed before their eyes and left by themselves in the middle of nowhere or in their houses to be hopefully rescued by a neighbor. But now we're hearing that it's even worse than we could have imagined. Now, we had been hearing reports that this had happened. But now we are getting this confirmed directly from the Israeli prime minister's office that babies and toddlers did have their heads decapitated by these terrorists when they came into Kfar Aza. This is a small kibbutz uh, near the northern part of the Gaza Strip. It's part of that, you know, envelope of communities that are sit right on the border right there. The Israeli Prime Minister's office has not given any sort of number on the number of children that this happened to. But, I mean, when any Israeli hears about, you know, innocent lives like this being taken in such a brutal fashion, this is why I think we're hearing the rhetoric from the Israeli military and from the Israeli government, the likes of which I have never heard before. And that's why I think whatever the Israeli military is planning to do in Gaza, it's going to be, again, the likes of which we have never seen before. Because Israel, I mean, has never experienced anything like this literally since the days of the Holocaust. And that's why you hear so many people refer to the days of the Holocaust. This is bringing, obviously, a lot of sadness and shock mm -hmm. to Israelis, but also a lot of anger. So at that point, we were told it was official. It had been reported by a spokesperson in the prime minister's office. Therefore, it was true. 
The reporting is still the original reporting, but now the new reporting is that someone in the prime minister's office, one of the prime minister's spokesmen, said that the claim was true. Therefore, it is officially true. Everyone has to believe it now. Conversation over. This is the evidence that makes the story true. Now, why did they need to do that? Well, Ben Shapiro had been out all day being a guest on other people's shows. Ben Shapiro being the country's number one regime spokesperson who happens to be Jewish. Therefore, you can't argue with him when it comes to anything related to Israel or being Jewish. Ben Shapiro is the conservative Jewish God King of the country as decided by Conservative Incorporated. If he's going to go out on other people's shows and talk about how babies were beheaded, well, by God, it better be true. And if it turns out not to be true, well, then you need to make it true because you can't have Ben Shapiro going around and saying something false. And if he says it and there's a lot of emotional content and that emotional content is the thrust behind his argument, if he can't make his argument otherwise, well, then that thing has to be true, even if it's not true. We better make it be true. And that is what we have seen over the last 24 hours is people making efforts to make that thing true. Now, I want to be clear that by questioning this narrative, there is no support in any way for Hamas. I am not making the argument that Hamas is not a brutal terrorist organization. We went through the other day, Ron Paul talking about how American intelligence and Israeli intelligence both regime intelligence in different places around the world. The same thing as it exists in multiple places, different versions of the same thing. They created Hamas, this terrorist organization, just like they created ISIS and Al Qaeda, just like Osama bin Laden was pals with all of those neocons that eventually started that war in the Middle East to destroy him and hunt him down, make him pay for 9-11. It just didn't happen for a while till Obama told everybody he accomplished it. But we had a decade of war and all sorts of spending over there. Trillions of dollars pumped into the military industrial complex so that they could go after one of their own assets, suggesting that that asset had plotted, planned and carried out the greatest terrorist attack on America's soil in America's history, the greatest attack of any variety, even bigger than Pearl Harbor, although now not quite as big as the very violent insurrection of January 6th that they compare it to. But it wasn't only Ben Shapiro that repeated these claims. It was also the fake president, Joe Biden. I never really thought that I would see and have confirmed pictures of terrorists beheading children. I never thought I'd ever... Anyway, I, uh, but there are countries in the region that are trying to be of some help, including Arab nations trying to be of some help. So, uh, anyway. So there's Joe Biden with a very powerful statement. He never thought he would ever see pictures or see it confirmed that there were pictures of beheaded children. He could never, ever imagine it, at least up until yesterday, where he was told that it was confirmed on CNN by one soldier and one journalist that these bodies were real, even though 
Israel's military had earlier said that there was no confirmation. It turned out that they were wrong after that. They actually received the confirmation at the point of confirmation. Then they knew that all the reporting was true, even though nothing changed. And that was enough for Joe Biden to go out and tell the country, just like Ben Shapiro on the other side of the Uniparty did. But unfortunately, not too long after that, as the New York Post and others report, Biden did not actually see confirmed pictures of terrorists beheading children, as he claimed. White House clarifies. President Biden said Wednesday he has seen confirmed pictures of terrorists beheading children. In southern Israel, following reports that up to 40 babies were butchered over the weekend near the Hamas-ruled Gaza Strip, but the White House later walked back the commander-in-chief's claim. It's Thursday right now, and they can't figure out whether or not this happened as of Wednesday afternoon. Now, now they are certain that it's happened. Even though they've retracted the story multiple times, a story about something that happened over the weekend that has been retracted multiple times, now it's true. From the Washington Post, a White House spokesperson later clarified that U.S. officials and the president have not seen pictures or confirmed such reports independently. The president based his comments about the alleged atrocities on the claims from Netanyahu's spokesman and media reports from Israel, according to the White House. In response to questions from the Post, an Israel Defense Forces spokesperson declined to comment on the state of victims' bodies. So they still could not say at that point that these reports from over the weekend are true. The White House had to retract Joe Biden's comments. Joe Biden had not seen anything more than that report on CNN, that report from Hadass Gold stating that someone in the prime minister's office said that the reports of the beheaded babies are true. Again, that is all we have. The same statement from the same soldier, from the same reporter that was retracted multiple times. That is the only thing that is out there. It's just the same story being recycled again and again, being said by different people, while the emotionality meant to punish disbelief is ratcheted up with each round. They keep coming back saying, yes, it is true. And you're evil if you don't believe us this time. Look how far you're pushing us to prove this. Oh, you want pictures? We'll give you pictures. And they have actually tried to produce pictures. This is the prime minister of Israel on X at Israeli PM. Here are some of the photos Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu showed to U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken. Warning, these are horrifying photos of babies murdered and burned by the Hamas monsters. Hamas is inhuman. Hamas is ISIS. And if you look at the pictures included in that post on X, you may well be disturbed. I'm going to describe those pictures right now. Two of them are clearly burnt masses that could or could not be babies. But assuming they are what they are purported to be, They still are not pictures of babies beheaded. And I know that this is not what anyone wants to be talking about. I hope I don't sound crass about the subject, but it actually does matter whether or not we are going to fall for this thing. There are three pictures here. Two of them are of burnt masses, which are not what is being described in this scenario. 
The other picture is a baby with its clearly attached head blurred out and what looks like stains potentially blood on its clothing. Now, these pictures may well be upsetting and they may be of legitimate victims of real violence occurring over there right now in this scenario. We do not have to believe that the entire scenario is fake, although it might be. It is clear, however, that once again, this does not constitute proof of the claim. It simply is not proof of the claim. And just because they have gone up to this level and used these words and tried to claim that you are absolutely evil, if you don't believe us now, we have put these pictures out disgusting as they are. We have put them out because you doubted us. We are now proving that what we are saying is true. And you have to believe us or you're a bad person. You are an anti-Semite and they can call you absolutely whatever names they want at this point because they have ratcheted the emotionality all the way up past 10 and they have gone around with this story one time, two times, three times. They have retracted it, retracted it, retracted it, and they will keep bringing it up. Now there is more proof, they are saying. This is still zero proof. This is not more proof. This is them suggesting another thing. Oh, well, will you accept that this is proof? No, because it's not proof. The one thing in these pictures that you can actually see is probably a baby has its head blurred out, but very much attached. And again, I do not have to defend Hamas in any way or say that they would never do something like this to understand that there is no reason to believe this is true. None of what they have brought forward constitutes proof at all. It is one claim made by one soldier to one reporter that has been repeated endlessly by people in power. And by the way, Donald Trump even talked about the claim last night in his speech in Florida in front of Club 47. Donald Trump often repeats the central narrative, and that's unfortunate, but he doesn't have to fight every one of these battles himself. And importantly, it is worth noting that his position doesn't require this claim to be true or false. His position stays the same regardless of the truth value of this claim. And that is the important lesson because that is where we should be as well. Our position does not change based on the truth value of this claim. Hamas can absolutely be brutal murderers. And I have no doubt that many, if not all of them are, and we do not need to diminish the fact that they absolutely may well want to eliminate all Jewish people from the face of the earth and most particularly Israel. They may well want to do that. But what we're not going to do is be led by the nose, by the television, by the mass media, by people like Ben Shapiro and Joe Biden, who again are working together on a very important issue because the emotional and reputational consequence of not complying and not repeating the slogans has been ratcheted up past 10. Again, as I said yesterday, we are being asked to weigh important issues and make important decisions. And we're not leading the armies of this world and our decisions don't immediately become our nation's policy. 
But in an ideal situation, that is how it's supposed to work. A government of, by, and for the people, which means we actually do need to inform ourselves on these things. And we need to think deeply about these things. We cannot just get emotionally hijacked by the television and then be led by the nose into whatever conclusions, outcomes, and then actions the regime prescribes. If you are not able to stand up in the face of some moron or stranger on the internet calling you insensitive, then you haven't learned the lesson here. None of this stops until you stop complying with the central narrative. It needs your consent in order to survive and in order to thrive. They are piling absolutely everything on you all at once so that they can get everybody back on the same page. They're going to say the magic words, pile everything on you and make sure that you get back on the same page. They're going to corral you right back into your pen. You give them permission again. You say, well, you know, gosh, I know they lied about all that other stuff, but I really don't think they would lie about this. It's just too disgusting. It's too gross. It would be too anti-human to just suggest this and lie about this in order to go to war. I don't believe they could lie about something like this. Really? Why not? They told you you would lose your job if you failed to inject yourself with a toxic experimental substance that can't protect you from a disease that can't kill you. They told you to do that. They coerced people into doing that. You don't think they'd lie about dead babies? And the truth is, by the way, a lot of the people who are 100% behind the regime on whether or not this story is true, those people are either pro-choice people on the uniparty left or on the hard communist left or people on the uniparty right that believe it's good to say you're pro-life in public, but then still understand that for some people, abortions really are necessary because, you know, there are a lot of undesirables in the world. The people saying that do not get the benefit of the doubt when they try to hold almost certainly fictional beheaded babies over your head. And let's think about the aspects of the abortion issue this is bringing up because it is disturbing. And the truth is, abortion is a disturbing practice. And they try to hide that really well. I didn't realize that until a few years ago. I didn't realize how gruesome it actually was. I genuinely thought it was an issue about women making a choice upon realizing that they were pregnant by accident, knowing that they were not at a state of their life where they could be good mothers, knowing that the process of the formation of that fetus had not really begun. That's what I thought. That's what a lot of normal Americans still to this day think. But when you actually try to inform yourself on what the abortion industry actually is, and it is an industry, you end up learning about the actual process of abortion and the dismemberment of fetuses and the selling of the parts from those dismembered fetuses. And again, I am very sorry for the graphic nature of this conversation, but sooner or later, we do have to be adults about what all of this is. The people who do not care about that the rest of the time do not have the moral justification for caring about it now and at the same time promoting that the solution to this problem is all out war and the incineration of potentially millions of people, blaming them all collectively for the atrocity for which there is no evidence. 
This is reporter from the gray zone, Max Blumenthal on X today, a day after CNN ran primetime coverage of beheaded babies, citing Netanyahu's claims as confirmation, quote, CNN visited the ransacked ruins of Kfar Aza on Tuesday and saw no evidence of beheaded youths. Israeli officials have not released any photographs of the incident either. That is reporting from today in CNN. And the headline of that article in CNN is Israeli official says government cannot confirm babies were beheaded in Hamas attack. That is today at CNN. The same organization that pumped out that story yesterday. CNN has poured through hundreds of hours of media posted online, attempting to corroborate accounts of atrocities committed by Hamas. In one video, which CNN determined to be authentic, but has not been able to geolocate, an assailant attacks an injured man with a garden tool in an attempt to behead him. But CNN has not seen anything that would appear to confirm the claims of decapitated children. CNN also visited the ransacked ruins of Kafar Aza on Tuesday and saw no evidence of beheaded youths. Israeli officials have not released any photographs of the incident either. And that part, of course, would be updated with that post that I just read from earlier, where they did post those three pictures of quote unquote babies, two burned masses and one baby with its head still very clearly on but blurred out. Blumenthal added, CNN has become the media wing of the Israeli foreign ministry. It ran claims by Netanyahu as confirmation, had anchors fake cry on air, then quietly walked the whole thing back. One of the most pernicious corporate media fails I've ever seen. And Max Blumenthal is not MAGA. He is on the left, very solidly on the left. That does not mean he's anti-Israel. This reporting does not make him an anti-Semite. He is contextualizing this reporting from CNN that has changed multiple times with no basis for the change other than people saying, hey, that's not true. No new information has emerged. Someone in Netanyahu's office, an unnamed spokesperson in the prime minister's office, said the claims were true. Then the prime minister's office put out a post on X with pictures proving the claims true that didn't prove the claims true. This story has been walked back again and again. CNN keeps walking back its own reporting. The White House walks back Joe Biden's comments. I'm sure Ben Shapiro is still out there repeating it. And all of Con Inc., all of the uniparty right is still combined with the uniparty left, all claiming that it's all true because they need to support the regime media. Otherwise, everyone will lose faith in them. Think about what we've seen over the last couple of days. A rubber dummy in the back of a truck being beaten by some people. We are told that that is a girl who is very much alive, who was kidnapped from a rave, a desert rave, which, by the way, according to Wikipedia, had its location moved just two days before the event. This is the Wikipedia entry. Supernova Sukkot Gathering, I guess that's what it's called, was a weekend-long outdoor trance music festival that began on 6 October 2023. It took place in the western Negev Desert, approximately five kilometers from the Gaza-Israel barrier near the Reim Kibbutz. Produced by an organizer called Nova, also referred to as Tribe of Nova, it was the Israeli edition pre-festival event 
of Universo Paralelo, a side trance festival that had started in Bahia, Brazil, 23 years ago. So Parallel Universe is what this festival is called. The organizers switched to the site only two days before, after the original location in southern Israel did not work out. So this is that desert music festival that was attacked by paragliders. We are supposed to believe all of this on the basis that if we don't, we are anti-Semites. We are not allowed to require proof for any of these claims, no matter how absurd. And if we don't believe them, if we don't go along with them, we are going to be afflicted with great emotional and reputational harm. You have no say in the matter. You must obey. But here's the thing. We have had a wonderful piece of video emerge as it always seems to something from the past that becomes immediately relevant in the present. In fact, this is the current fake president, Joe Biden, back when he looked completely different and spoke like a normal human, though one who was mentored in politics for three decades by a Klansman. And I think uh, all administrations tend to do that. I remember the first Gulf War, we heard all this about babies being killed in Kuwait and the like. That wasn't the reason we went to Kuwait, but it was sort of icing on the cake to deal with public opinion, I think. And how about that? If the regime had just let this story go initially, realizing that it almost certainly was not true, that the only reason to believe it was not even close to enough to convince a normal person. They could have just let it go. But a lot of people went all in. They used that story to justify their extravagant displays of hatred and malice, their desire to watch entire peoples be incinerated as, what, punishment? And they couldn't let it go. They wanted the story to be true, so they kept pushing and pushing and pushing. And now we have this piece of video from good old Scranton Joe, not only explaining what stuff like this is for in the present, but also showing us quite clearly that this was a helpful PR move back when they were pushing the Gulf War in Kuwait. It's not why they went in, but it certainly was helpful in terms of shifting public opinion. This is exactly the sort of thing that you can watch in the movie Wag the Dog. In the fictional movie Wag the Dog, it is this same sort of thing. They have a young girl running away from the chaos with her little cat. That image to be seared into the minds of everyone witnessing it, knowing what chaos and destruction was occurring in that fictional Albania, knowing that war was the only solution. Gather all the public's attention so they don't pay attention to other scandals, other stories that actually matter in the real world. They just created out of nothing and everybody focuses their attention there. Well, now we have this old clip of Joe Biden. You can see what all of this really is. If you still choose to believe that 40 babies were beheaded at this point, that's on you. Again, we don't have to assert that there's no way that could have happened. There is absolutely a way that could have happened. Just nothing about what we've been told so far suggests that it did happen or that anyone has any proof of it happening. There is one claim from one soldier reported by one reporter who then withdrew the story and retracted the story. 
The LA Times retracted, CNN retracted. Then Hadass Gold gets a statement from someone who we're told is a spokesperson at the prime minister's office. Then the story becomes true again. Ben Shapiro spent the day repeating it. Joe Biden went out in front of the nation and repeated it. And then they walked it back. And CNN has now walked it back. And of course, we're told by the Israeli prime minister's office once again that it's actually true. Here's the proof. The proof is not proof. And we're supposed to still believe it anyway. At what point will you be prepared to let stupid people think you're insensitive in order to actually get through this? Is that the price? You cannot deal with stupid people thinking you're insensitive for a few days. Stupid strangers. That's who it is for the most part. People online. If it's your family members who believe it, well, you got some work to do. I hope you're able to navigate that sensitively. I know it's tough when people you care about are still in that headspace. I understand, but it does not mean that you have to back down. You're not doing yourself any favors. And the truth is you're not doing them any favors either. If you want to see them get through this, you have to give them an example of someone doing it. You do not back down. You do not say, yes, you know what? You're probably right this time. It's true. You have gotten so emotional about this that now I will back down and pretend that the claims you make with no evidence are actually backed up by evidence. They believe that there is no evidence in the world that our elections are anything but perfect. No matter how much evidence you show them, they will not believe that. But because they are willing to exact an emotional toll on you for not believing their claim with no evidence, you're the bad guy now? No, you can't fall into that. You just can't. And I'm sorry. I know it's uncomfortable. I know it doesn't feel good. I know you don't like the conflict, but this is where we are. Either we will allow them to manipulate us forever or we will not. All you have to do is withhold your consent and it is about time to do it. You don't have to go out there and fight people and try to convince them that it's not true. Just withhold your consent. If someone says it in your presence, be like, yeah, no, I don't believe that. There's no reason to believe that. It's real simple. If they want to try to prove it to you, allow them to. If they want to pull up those pictures from the Israeli prime minister's office and throw them in your face and say, look at this, this is proof. You simply say, no, that is two burned masses. And if those are babies, that's very sad. And that is another baby who may be alive and may be dead. And if it's dead, that's very sad. But the one photo that actually shows a baby, it's very clear that that baby's head is still on. So I'm sorry, but this is not proof. And we're not going to allow you to use this story to emotionally manipulate us into supporting utter atrocities. Now, again, I will repeat for the nth time, I do not need to doubt that Hamas is not brutal and is not doing terrible things and has not done terrible things. I do not need to doubt that they are terrorists. I do not need to doubt that they are evil people who mean to do Jews harm and to do Israel harm. I do not need to deny any of that to make sure that we are applying a standard of evidence and rationality to our decisions so that we do not get swept up into their false paradigms, into their controlled opposition paradigms, where we can be led by the nose into giving our consent to absolute atrocities whenever they say the magic words, which is what they're doing now. You must take away that power from them. The only way to do that is by refusing to comply, refusing to repeat the slogans. 
Now, while all of this is going on yesterday, we get reports from known CIA mouthpiece and Russia hoaxer. Hunter Biden's laptop is Russian disinformation hoaxer Natasha Bertrand. This is her reporting yesterday at CNN. Initial U.S. intelligence suggests Iran was surprised by the Hamas attack on Israel. So you see, it's not Iran's fault. Therefore, it can't be blamed on the Biden regime. The United States has collected specific intelligence that suggests senior Iranian government officials were caught by surprise by Saturday's bloody attack on Israel by Hamas, according to multiple sources familiar with the intelligence. The existence of the intelligence has cast doubt on the idea that Iran was directly involved in the planning, resourcing, or approving of the operation, sources said. The sources stressed that the U.S. intelligence community is not ready to reach a full conclusion about whether Tehran was directly involved in the run-up to the attack. They continue to look for evidence of Iranian involvement, which caught both Israel and the United States by surprise. You see, it was all a big surprise. None of these people could have possibly known. They especially didn't have any role in coordinating or supporting. And that $6 billion, that thing doesn't matter. That whole Robert Malley thing, the infiltration of the Iran experts initiative into the Obama and Biden administrations, that doesn't matter either. None of it matters. And the regime's support for Hamas doesn't matter. Rich Barris put this out on X, formerly Twitter, today. In 2018, John Kerry met in London with Hussein Aga, a close associate of Mahmoud Abbas, that is the president of the Palestinian Authority and the chairman of the Palestinian Liberation Organization. Kerry told him not to talk peace with Donald Trump because he would be removed from office within a year and afterward, Abbas would get a better deal. Abbas then refused to meet with Mike Pence. John Kerry asked Aga to tell Abbas that Palestinians should, quote, play for time, end quote, until Trump was removed, after which it would be the, quote, time for Palestinians to define their peace principles, end quote, instead of accepting Trump's two-state proposal. Now all these people are dead. Realizing the Palestinians were never going to come to the table, especially not with members of the opposition party engaging in actual sedition and undermining his peace plan, Trump moved to unite the Arab countries with Israel and isolate the Palestinians with the Accords, these being the Abraham Accords. Barris says, I'm unaware of anyone dead as a result of J6 other than unarmed protesters. Now thousands are dead as a result of John Kerry subverting a duly elected president and his efforts to bring a lasting peace to the region. But J6ers engaged in sedition. Kerry did not. And he adds on. And it's not just that John Kerry advised a foreign leader to oppose a president while not serving in the administration. He told Aga to tell Abbas the president would be removed from office within a year. And Abbas acted on that belief. That's as clear cut as it gets, folks. And Rich Barris is exactly right. That is pretty clear cut. That is an attempt to subvert a duly elected president of the United States by the former secretary of state. John Kerry is, of course, the climate envoy now for the fake president. That is actual sedition. That is John Kerry as part of Barack Hussein Obama's 
shadow administration attempting to conduct American foreign policy in direct defiance and opposition of the duly elected president. So as usual, we see the regime manipulating public opinion and manipulating situations so that they get into the proper place, narratively speaking, and we can see their hand and their effect controlling both sides of the controlled opposition dynamic they have set up. Again, I played the clip the other day, Ron Paul talking about how American intelligence and Israeli intelligence set up Hamas. They fund and arm and encourage these groups to do certain things and act in certain ways so that they can apply pressure where needed, as needed. This is the sort of thing you can do when you control everything, including and especially public perception, and you don't care at all about people's lives. We're talking about people who have an explicit depopulation agenda, people who coerce normal people into medical experimentation at the risk of their job and livelihood, their ability to feed their family. They are absolutely happy to manipulate these situations. Now, I have also said quite clearly, I don't know how much more clear I can be. Hamas may well be absolutely the brutal terrorist organization that it is described to be. But we cannot ignore the fact that the regime has a role in creating that, just as the regime had a role in creating ISIS. And if we're going to be told again and again and again that Hamas is ISIS, we're being told by all sides that Hamas is ISIS. One side as a justification for war and by the other side so that we will draw this accurate parallel. Now, to the extent that Hamas is ISIS, Hamas must be dealt with and destroyed. Now, I don't want American troops on the ground, but if Israel's good twin is going to go in and take out Hamas the same way that various Middle Eastern countries and various groups over there took out ISIS, including, by the way, Hezbollah, as was widely reported in mainstream media, then wonderful. We don't want terrorist organizations. Take out that terrorist organization 100%. We don't want them when they're called drug cartels either. You have to wonder why all the people who are so adamant about what's happening in Israel right now, why they all avoid talking in very clear terms about what's happening at the border. Why don't they care that fentanyl is pouring over the borders and killing all sorts of young Americans, young Americans? Why isn't that a bigger deal? Why isn't it a bigger deal that our country is being invaded and people are losing their jobs and livelihoods as a direct result of that? Why don't they care more that what we have at the border is actually a slave trade and that the price of entry is indentured servitude toward these global corporations that are actually killing American small businesses? Why don't they care about any of that stuff in the same way? Because cartels are terror organizations. They are even more and more being designated as such. Can those be destroyed? Terrorist organizations and cartels are private armies of the regime. That is what they are primarily. They may thrive on hatred for peoples, creeds, religions, sexualities and genders, whatever it may be. You don't have to deny the reality of the fact that some people in all of these groups will always sincerely, legitimately, hatefully believe all of the ideology. 
There are also a whole bunch of people that don't because primarily these are private armies of the regimes. Whatever their motivations are, the most important factor is that they are private armies of the regime. Some of Hamas, most of Hamas, maybe all of Hamas really do hate the Jewish people and hate Israel. I have no doubt about that. I have no problem believing that whatsoever, but that is not the only thing they do. First and foremost, they are a private army of the global regime. To that extent, we should absolutely want them taken out, even apart from anything else they might be doing. To the extent that Israel's good twin faction is going to go do that, it's wonderful to be behind them 100%. I would like to know that that is what's happening. And when I know that that's what's happening, I'm going to cheer Israel on for doing it, provided it is the good twin faction of Israel and not this globalist proxy state that they call Israel. We don't need to blindly support things. We can figure out who the good twin faction in any given country is and then support that as they would support Trump and MAGA in America, knowing that America's success is crucial to the success of every sovereign nation and people who want to maintain their sovereignty. We are America first. We can cheer for people who are Israel first in Israel. And we should, just as we do for anyone doing that across the world. It's awfully hard to paint us as hateful while we are actively trying to discover and then support the people in each nation who are really on the side of what is right. We should be able to do that and we should not be the least bit shy about vocally supporting these people, but we have to figure things out first. We can't just run in saying we support Israel, we support Israel with new emojis on social media. That's not anything. And that's not even supporting the proper people because the proper people are the ones opposing the regime and the regime is telling us who to support. They're not steering us the right way for our best interests. They have no incentive whatsoever to do that. And we know what it is, this process we are witnessing. We know what's going on with BRICS. Start there. Just start only there. That's already more than half of the world's population aligned in this new endeavor to remove the people of these nations from the global regime's fiat money system currently branded as the American dollar. Those nations already have an emerging alliance and there are so many other nations joining them. We know that the multipolar world is emerging. How do we think that is going to work? We are going to be America first. We are going to look after America in all of our decision making. We are going to think about what is best for this country? Not what is best for me personally in my quest for material wealth and comfort and never having to care about anything. We think what is best for the country. Let's choose that again and again and again and again and again and on down the road. And we expect everyone else in all the other countries to apply the same decision-making process. And that is what we encourage for all the people across the world. 
That is what freedom looks like. That is the multipolar world in its ideal possibility. And hey, if we can't get to the ideal, at least we know we are striving for something. The alternative is the centralized world, the one world global order as controlled by this regime. There's not just some way we're going to flip who controls things so that only good people control the same centralized system. The fact that it is centralized is the problem. It will eventually only serve the people at the top because the control has to come from somewhere. And sooner or later, human nature is going to introduce itself into that process. It will be unavoidable that people who are out for themselves and willing to violate laws and norms, people who are corrupt, people who are compromised, they will eventually use the power for their own good and they will bring more people into the system who will do that as well. The centralization leads to the problem because the centralization is the problem. We need the multipolar world to emerge. It is emerging regardless of what we need. And it's good to understand that's happening and then prepare ourselves on how to encourage the best possible iteration of that. In order to do that successfully, we actually do need a standard by which we can judge the people of these other nations in order to know whom to support and in order to know how to communicate with them as well on their terms about what they care about. We here sit in America pretending to know what should happen in all of these countries around the world when their own citizens who are still asleep don't even know. We're talking about people who don't know what's going on in their own towns, trying to tell us who we should go to war with. These people obsessed with movies and reality television and sports and pop music who thought COVID gave them all sorts of lovely social opportunities. These are the people recommending war because they were upset, confused, and scared by things they saw online. And they're doing it only 20 months after they witnessed the very same thing in Ukraine, made the very decision they are trying to make once again, and have already, most of them, seen the outcome. Absolute failure. Abject failure. A moral abomination to support any of that in the first place. One that these people will probably be living with throughout their lives. And they're about to do it again. And a lot of us will probably cheer them on while they do it. Just so we don't have to say, yeah, I'm sorry. I think that beheaded baby thing is fake. We are in the process of awakening. The entire point is understanding the depths to which these people will go and the dishonesty that guides everything they say. This is the regime in full bloom. It is your duty to attempt to understand it. You don't just assume that they're telling the truth this time because this time it's just too important to lie about. It's just too important a subject to lie about. We would never lie about this thing. Sure, we would lie about a pandemic and we would steal your elections. We would propagandize you and then censor you in violation of your most basic human rights. 
we would never lie about this one thing right here. What do you think we are? Monsters? Yeah, sorry. I think you're monsters. And speaking of that multipolar world that's emerging, we listened to the fake president, Joe Biden, babble all his emotional terms, all of that emotionalizing, all of the discussion of the victims. And then what will the response be? Oh, the strongest possible response, of course, because our heroes in the Uniparty, they know it's time to come together. And that's what they've done now. The Republican establishment praising Biden. Oh, this is an important speech by Joe Biden. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. So important. The man with no power, the fake president. Oh, his words are so important. Here's what an actual world leader said, not an illegitimate one, an actual one, a real world leader with real power he can exercise. This is Vladimir Putin. The expansion of the conflict in the Middle East may lead to serious consequences, including the energy sector. The Palestinian problem is in the heart of every Muslim and is perceived by them as a manifestation of injustice elevated to an incredible degree. Actions should be taken to reduce the number of civilian casualties. The United States neglected the mechanisms in the Arab-Israeli conflict zone and relied on the material needs of the people in Palestinian territory. When creating Israel, there was also talk about creating a sovereign Palestine, but this was never done. It is unknown whether it will be possible to calm the situation between Israel and Palestine in the near future, but this could lead to big problems. Both in the USA and in Israel, there are many supporters of the creation of an independent Palestinian state, but the forces advocating a military solution are gaining the upper hand. The bitterness in Israel and Palestine is very great, but we must strive to minimize civilian losses, leave children and women alone. The aggravation in Israel will not affect oil production, but it may affect logistics, insurance, and freight. The accusations against Iran of involvement in the aggravation of the Palestinian-Israeli conflict are unsubstantiated. I don't understand why the United States is pulling aircraft carrier groups toward Israel. This is aggravating the situation. Initially, when the decision was made to create the state of Israel, a parallel decision was made to create a second state. Initially, it was about the creation of two independent and sovereign states, Israel and Palestine. Israel, as you know, was created, but Palestine as an independent and sovereign state was never created. That's quite a statement, isn't it? That is a statement and a history lesson. That is a well-balanced assessment of what is going on over there from a very real and pragmatic perspective. That is not a list of brutalities and victimhoods and a recommendation that we are all in our hearts going to support Israel in the strongest possible terms, all in a lead up to our military involvement on the regime's behalf to protect regime interests in other parts of the world, all done with our consent, all funded by the indentured servitude of Americans. And while we're on the subject of Vladimir Putin, this piece in Sputnik caught my eye. This is from October 5th. Putin's Valdai speech 
multipolar future has arrived and Russia is here to stay. Now, Sputnik is a Russian news website, which means it's Russian propaganda and Russian misinformation. But the only question here that matters is not what source this appears in. It is whether or not he gave this speech and whether or not the speech is presented accurately here. This is just information among other information. If this is the information, if these are the things that Vladimir Putin said, then we can read it from any source and it doesn't matter. And we can read any sort of analysis from this source and understand that it is going to be biased toward Russian interests. But that does not mean it is not accurately representing reality. The multipolar world that Russian President Vladimir Putin has referred to over the past several years has finally taken shape, international observers told Sputnik. Russian President Vladimir Putin delivered a speech on October 5th at the plenary session of the 20th meeting of the Valdai International Discussion Club in Sochi, emphasizing the tectonic and irreversible shifts taking place in the global order. Sixteen years ago, at the 2007 Munich Security Conference, Putin told Western leaders that the natural type of international system is multipolarity, clearly showing that Russia would oppose U.S. unipolar dominance. The moment of truth has come and U.S. hegemony is fading in front of our eyes, while a new multipolar world is emerging, per Professor Joe Siracusa, political scientist and dean of Global Futures, Curtin University. In many, many ways, the future that Mr. Putin is talking about has already arrived, Siracusa told Sputnik. What he's kind of saying between the lines is it's already here. Now we have to see it. The world has changed. And the reason he thinks that the Americans, particularly in Washington, make these terrible mistakes is because they do not see that the world has changed around them already. The world, the future, is changing in front of them, and they fail to see it. He thinks that might be the cause of the conflict. And that is pretty accurate. The world has changed. We talk about it constantly. I talk about how far in the future we actually are compared to where people think that we are. There is a massive gap between what the American public thinks is happening right now and what is actually happening right now. And that gap can be represented by time. There are things they could have known years ago that they still do not know now. And had they known those things years ago, they could have foreseen what is happening now or at the very least understood it as it emerges, so they can think rationally about it rather than emotionally, because they know everybody's supposed to have an opinion and they don't know anything. So they figure out what the opinion of all the best people is, and they repeat that. And who are the best people? Well, the people that they themselves would like to impress the most, because those are the people from whom they will increase their reputation. That is the calculus within the party of false decorum. They are trapped in an informational past. They cannot interact with what is happening right now, which is why it's all emotion. They have no idea what world is emerging 
as it emerges. So they have to figure out ways to explain it among the only information and context they have, which is getting everything else for all of history wrong every time. They are applying their coerced 9-11 reaction to this situation in Israel right now, because that is the reaction they know. They have practiced it before. It feels comfortable. We are all very upset by what's happened. Let's go kill these terrorists, and you guys can just take care of it on your own. We don't want to be involved. We don't want to think about how many terrorists are being killed and how many innocent people are being killed. Just use some drones. Do whatever you need to. Don't tell us about the death. Whatever money you need, you can take it. Make all the decisions for us. We want nothing to do with it. Just please stop telling us these bad stories. That's the decision-making process of these people trapped in the past. They could be closer to an informational present so that they are interacting with reality as it emerges as close as they can be to that in real time. But they're not doing that. They're trying to pull everybody else back into their informational past where their analysis of the world makes sense. It doesn't make sense. There is nothing about the central narrative that reflects the emergence of the multipolar world as it has already happened. It is not something that is happening in the future. It is something that has already happened. And none of their analysis on these situations reflects an understanding of that. This is an analysis from an informational past. That is where the regime needs you. When you are caught up closer to an informational present, you are not fooled by the regime's stories. You are useless to them. You are an effective opposition to them at that point. The entire thing at that point breaks down. That is what we are trying to cause. You cannot get there if you are going to be tricked by the emotionality of stories like 40 beheaded babies. Now we need to incinerate 2 million. It is obviously a trick. You must stop falling for it. During his Valdai speech, Putin outlined six principles Russia wants to adhere to and offers other nations to join it. First, we want to live in an open, interconnected world in which no one will ever try to erect artificial barriers to people's communication, their creative realization and prosperity. There must be a barrier free environment, Putin said. The second principle is the diversity of the world, which should not only be preserved, but should also be the foundation of universal development. And he does not mean skin color diversity or gender diversity. We all know that. The third principle, according to the Russian head of state, is maximum representativeness. No one has the right or can rule the world for others or on behalf of others. The world of the future is a world of collective decisions, the president emphasized. And by the way, there are technological possibilities that present themselves with Bitcoin and potentially maybe other emergent technologies that will allow people to weigh in on some of these decisions, I imagine. But I do not expect that that will be some form of direct democracy, especially not the world over, because that would require some sort of enforcement mechanism, which I guess potentially could also be solved by Bitcoin. That's an interesting conversation, but not this conversation. Fourth is a universal security and lasting peace that takes into account the interests of great states and small countries equally. 
To achieve this, it is important to free international relations from the block mentality and the dark legacy of the colonial era and Cold War, according to Putin. And with how all of that world looks at this point, the influence of the regime in all of these various countries where communism was implemented and from which they tried to spread it. Talk about colonization and the Cold War takes on a whole new light and a whole new understanding. The fifth principle is justice for all. The era of exploitation of anyone, I've already said this twice, is a thing of the past. Countries and peoples are clearly aware of their interests and capabilities and are ready to rely on themselves, and this multiplies their strength. Everyone must be provided with access to the benefits of modern development, Putin emphasized. And this is in direct opposition to how the regime has run the world up until now. They have devastated countries into compliance with the global regime agenda. Then they flood money in. And for all the people standing up to their ascent to power or to their grip on power, those people are further impoverished and eventually shipped off to other parts of the world to go do, you guessed it, slave labor. Or sometimes they're just kept in country for slave labor. Like we see examples of now with lithium and cobalt mining, supplies for all of our green technology. Think about the Chinese Uyghurs in work camps. That was the global evil twin at work in China. The sixth principle is equality. No one should be forced to obey those who are richer or more powerful at the cost of their own development and national interests, according to the Russian president. And that's a great point. The civilizational model referred to in Putin's speech seems anchored on principles such as non-colonial relations, non-patronizing attitudes, respectful of diversity rooted in the diverse traditions that will require a huge work to generate new shared international norms. Paolo Raffone, a strategic analyst and director of the CIPI Foundation in Brussels, told Sputnik. The Western rules-based liberal international order is unilateral, and it could be imposed in a specific time in history, leveraging on the power and prominence of a small group of colonial powers that after the liberal model crisis and civil war, 1914 through 1945, has been inherited by a distant but super powerful country, the United States. In a nutshell, I can say that the civilizational model approach probably aims at structuring a shared world software, while the liberal rules-based order has been aiming at building an imposed hardware defended by rules serving the financial and military hegemony. And that is very well said. He is talking about the global regime. That is what that is. The rules-based liberal international order. That's the regime. That is what that is. Putin does not blame the people of the West or their governments for the unfolding global crisis, but the corrupt elites or particularly corrupt interests within these permanent elites, according to Syracusa. Oh, wow. That's exactly what I say all the time. That is also what Donald Trump says. That is also absolutely describing the same exact regime. 
Isn't it amazing how strongly Vladimir Putin is opposing that regime? And consider what they have said about this man. Consider how they have tried to paint his country and what it is doing as he opposes them. And he's the bad guy. And so he's targeted the problem that a lot of the people have targeted. And that is the political elites, the foreign policy elites have targeted Russia. Then, of course, China as part of their campaign to keep their people fearful and concentrated, Syracuse said. He's really telling these other publics to hold the elites accountable. And of course, the elites that need a war of choice or necessity, forever war to keep going, etc., etc., I mean, most of America's great industries, Boeing, Northrop, Raytheon, etc., depend on a continuing war. With whom? Doesn't make a difference. It's got a kind of warlike production. That's been the essence of American prosperity since the 1950s, the scholar emphasized. That's us, guys. That's us. And it was well hidden, or maybe it wasn't. Maybe we knew about it and thought, eh, that's just how it is. But that's us, and we have to account for that. We bear that responsibility, and we need to understand how the rest of the world might view that. Now, again, we can look after America's interests at all times. It is probably not in America's best interest to give them all a fat middle finger and tell them they can go screw themselves. But maybe it is, and where it is, I guess we can go ahead and do that. I don't know anything to those other nations, but I do owe it to America to try to make America better than that. There's nothing about taking some responsibility for what we have enjoyed and the price at which we have enjoyed it. That means we're not America first or won't stand up for our country. A multipolar world means we actually do need to be able to see things from the perspective of other countries or else we end up playing the same game that the regime plays. And if they're not in control of those other countries, if we start exploiting other countries, then they're actually able to hold us accountable. There's not the regime presence there holding them back. We need to account for the new reality that is emerging, knowing that it already has emerged far beyond our awareness. Putin went on later to say there is no situation in which, say, today, something would threaten Russian statehood and the existence of of the Russian state. So it doesn't sound like he is scared of getting nuked by America. It doesn't sound like he is remotely afraid of losing the war in Ukraine. He understands that both of those situations are already well advanced beyond our understanding. He is operating relative to these issues in real time. He already knows that these situations have been resolved in his favor. That is why he is confident. That is what he understands. And the final comment from Syracuse. So international cooperation begins with harmonious coexistence. And if you're not prepared to play that game, and if you're not prepared to leave your arrogance at the door and your misunderstandings at the door, what he's saying is that it's a brand new game. And I also think that the future has actually arrived. And now we have to open our eyes and see that the world has broken down into different groupings, regional groupings and territorial groupings that weren't there before. So we don't have a unipower. We don't have superpowers. We don't have any of that kind of thing. We have a multipolarity, which depends on multilateral diplomacy. 
Now, why is that important relative to what is happening in Israel? Because considering the scope and magnitude of that change in the world, we know what's going on with the currency. We know what's going on with the regime, the bankers at the very top. If they lose control, if they lose their fiat money system, that fiat currency currently branded as the American dollar, then all their control goes away. That is their method for control. This is for all the marbles for them. Think about the countries they have already lost. If America goes away, if Brazil goes away, what happens? We don't even know how many countries they've lost at this point, but that is what's really going on. That's the context in which this Israel situation exists. And the regime is telling you that you have to now go to war. The only sort of thing that can bail these people out is people from a powerful nation like the United States of America getting coaxed back to sleep and making the worst decisions imaginable. This is the only opportunity that these people have to turn these things around, which is why they're going so hard after it and why it's all so insane. Why backing up this story about beheaded babies means so much to them, because if this stuff gets exposed, if this doesn't work while they're piling it all on, what in the world do they have left? We need to do our part and our part is being patient and thinking about these things rationally. People are getting crazy and people might get more crazy tomorrow, by the way. Obviously, everyone at this point has seen that post that went viral saying that the leader and a founding member of Hamas gave a speech telling Muslims that on Friday they would have a public expression of anger. And the idea was that these would be terrorist attacks throughout the world to send a message of rage to Zionists and to America. And so a lot of people are now very concerned about what might happen tomorrow. Now, of course, this guy is definitely an intelligence asset, and you can research him as deeply as you'd like. His name is Khalid Mashal, M-A-S-H-A-L. And we know that this is a narrative preface for potential acts of terrorism or what will be called terrorism tomorrow. Maybe there are false flag events. I imagine if this happens, we will probably figure out pretty quickly that they are false flag events. Maybe they're going to try a whole bunch of them so that every American knows now it's time to go incinerate those people. They started with just the attacks, the paragliders, the outdoor Burning Man style rave. They started there, but people wouldn't go along with them. So then they talked about beheaded babies and some more people went along with them for sure. And those people got very, very angry when others didn't, but that hasn't worked. So now they have to keep cranking up the emotionality, which means they have to create new events because they've squeezed just about all the emotionality they can out of the first event. They're saying that people are evil bigots for not believing an obviously false story that all the people telling the story have said is false now multiple times. So that's about as far as they can go with this one. They're going to have to create new events so they will, whether they're narrative or actual. And obviously it is a tragedy when it's actual. It is horrifying when it's actual. 
But even when it's actual, they are still generally lying about the story. And it will be our job to figure out how that is. Now, people have actually come to me asking for my advice about what they should do tomorrow. The truth is, I don't know. And I would never want to make that decision for anyone. But I do worry about the fact that a known intelligence asset, someone who is as controlled as this guy, puts out this statement about all these terrorist attacks, and then people are going to go changing their lives based on this statement going out. That is, again, complying with the construct of the regime. Now, if you want to be extra cautious, then avoid large crowds and large events. But if you're willing to change your life just because there's some weird claim made on the internet, you're kind of falling for the same trick everyone else is falling for with this other stuff. And I get that the world is scary and I get that it sucks not to know. But what kind of world do we live in? What kind of world do you want to live in? And what are you placing your faith in? We have seen a lot of moments over the last few years where people are expecting false flags and different actual events by the regime, and they haven't happened. They have not pulled these events off well. They have not made them count within the narrative as they expected to. I do not believe that they will be successful tomorrow. But the entire point of this is that you don't take some understanding from me and say, oh, well, Chris says, so that's probably right. No, you got to make these decisions for yourself and you got to interact with the world on the most advanced informational timeline possible. We cannot pretend that all of what is happening right now is about some terrorist attack that the best security state in the world couldn't prevent because there was an intelligence failure. And now all of these atrocities, all of this, we're being told the only solution is for all of us to double down on whatever the global regime demands. That's not why this is happening. The picture is much bigger than that. And all the real stuff is floating on a plane far higher than all of this conversation. And that's where we need to be because those are the critical judgment points. That's when you can be weighing in at the right time. That is when your understanding can make a difference in other people's understanding. And we can get closer to interacting with reality in real time in an effective way. Everything you know has already happened. I will be back early next week at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic. And Joe Biden will never be president. In my mind, that's the end game. If you're listening to this episode for free, you can support me and support the show and the work I do by signing up for a paid subscription at imyourmoderator.substack.com. You can do so for as low as $50 a year or $5 a month comes out to under a quarter per episode and you'll blast right through the paywall for all of the writing. The merch store is www.cancelcouture.com and you can find everything else by heading to Linktree. Linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. And I'll see you soon out on the range.
It's high noon. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bolinbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm your moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm your moderator.substack.com. The merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!